you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5 will be our text for today. If you're a guest with us, uh, let me add my welcome to you. I know some of you are here for the family dedication um, that we'll be having at the end today, and we're excited to have you here for that. And if you're just here because you, you came in today, whether you found us on the internet or a friend brought you, a family member, we're so glad that you're here. We trust that you've been blessed already, and we hope that you'll continue to be blessed as we look into God's word together this morning. First Timothy 5 is just a short uh, text today, and we'll kind of be teasing out the implications of that along the lines of where we've been going already in our gathering today. We're in a series right now uh, on the church. What is the church? And over the last few weeks, we've been kind of unpacking that, that the church is the one people of God, that we are called together to him through the gospel of Jesus Christ, saved to be one with God and with one another, both now and forever. Then that the church is the body of Christ, emphasizing again its union with Christ as the head It's unity with one another as part of the body and diversity as each member plays its part. Then last week, the church is the bride of Christ, loved, chosen, precious, holy, that Jesus loves his bride, the church, both corporately and individually with a sacrificial, sanctifying, and sustaining love. This week, the church is the family of God. And this isn't so much a a picture or a metaphor as it is a reality that God has made for us through Christ. And so let's look now at 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men... As brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That's the word of the Lord. Let's thank him for it. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us. And you've spoken to us in these last days by your son. It was the exact imprint of your glory. We thank you that he gave his own body on the tree for us, taking all our sins on him, making us his brothers and sisters and your children. Would you help us as we consider that amazing good news and its implications for us today? Would you help us? Spirit, would you... um, work among us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us where we need to repent? Would you give us grace to repent? Would you work in the heart of each one who hears today? You'd make us into what you have called us to be more and more by your glory, by your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The big idea this morning is this. By God's grace, we act like the brothers and sisters we are. If we're thinking about who we are as the church, we are God's family. So by God's grace, we act as the brothers and sisters we are. The church is indeed the family of God. In our text for today, we have Paul, an apostle, writing to Timothy, his protege, and telling him how to treat, as a young pastor that he had left in Ephesus, how to treat other people in the church. He says, what about an older man? And he's contrasting the older and younger. The older man, treat as a father. The older woman, treat as a mother. The younger men, treat as brothers. The younger women, treat as sisters in all purity. He's writing to him about how to conduct himself in the church of God. And he calls the church elsewhere here in this same letter, the household of God. He's using family terms here in 1 Timothy 5, but he's also used those terms earlier. In 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in There it is, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And this is an expression that we've already seen in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2.19, as he's celebrating that you were far off, but you've been brought near. You weren't part of the nation, but now you are. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of of the household of God. It's God's household where he lives and where he lives with his family. And in Christ, it's a big family. It's a really big family that's all over the world, but that also has expressions right here. It's a big family, but we are not distant relatives One of the great joys of getting to travel at times, and those of you who know me are like, joys of travel? You you don't have those. Um, But one of the great joys of traveling to other countries, even where the brothers and sisters there don't speak the same language that we do, and I don't speak the language that I do, that they do. I speak the language I do. (laughs) Occasionally, apparently. When we meet and we know, right, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a depth, there's a joy that can't be replicated, that we can't work up anywhere else because we know we're together. We are family. Even if we've never met before, even if we may never meet again, Even if we can't speak the same language and need someone who's like, hey, come help me with what this guy's trying to say because I gave him like my one phrase that I know in Spanish and he thinks I can speak it and I'm in so much trouble now. But the Lord is there and you can sense it and we know we are family because of what God has done for us in Christ. It's a big family, but we're not distant relatives. Do any of you have like family reunions and you go, go back to those and you're with all these people, some of whom you know better than you'd like, 
some of them you're like, I feel like I've seen you somewhere before. Oh, is that the one we did five years ago? That's right. Right? You haven't seen them in years, and especially with the kids, it's like they tell you how, how much you've grown, and you don't tell them like how old they've gotten. And sometimes there's that one family member that you're not even really sure how they're related exactly, but they always seem to be there. They've been around as long as you can remember. We had that experience even yesterday. We had a memorial service for Don Clark's mom. And it's like, yeah, the, the one lady, she's like a fourth cousin or something, but like she's been around our whole lives and she loved my mom. And right, it's like she's, she's there somewhere. I don't know what a fourth cousin is, but she was there. Family trees can get complicated really quickly, right? They're cousins, second cousins, fourth cousins, once removed, twice removed. And then everyone's totally confused and it's just like, yeah, you're just family, come on. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about how some of that works for real, I would be glad to talk with you afterwards about how like first cousin, second cousin, and whether they're removed or not and how many times. Because... Uh, my grandfather was doing some genealogy work about 25 years ago, and they have lived, they moved in with my parents a couple years ago, but before that, they had lived almost 90 years in the same village where their family, for as long as they can remember, has lived. It's called Osterville. It's a little village on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. It's about a 40-minute drive today from Plymouth, Massachusetts, and it was founded in 1630. So if you're big, like, U.S., early U.S. history people, then Plymouth was 1620, right? That's when the Pilgrims landed. The Puritans landed in 1630 in Boston. So some of the original Pilgrims founded this village where I still have some family. And so he was going around doing genealogy work, going in all the cemeteries in the area, going up to Boston to go to some cemeteries there, and they're looking at names and dates and piecing things together. And through those efforts, my parents learned that they, my mother and my father, are related to each other. It's a small village. (laughs) Now, it's not that close, though you might be thinking like, now I understand. (laughs) And they had already been married for 20 years at this point. It's like, wait a minute, we're what? My mom and my dad are fifth cousins once removed, which means that I am my dad's sixth cousin, which means that I am my sixth cousin once removed. We had a lot of fun with that for a while, just calling everyone in our family cousin because they were. And then we found out a few years later, they're not only fifth cousins, they're also seventh cousins and ninth cousins, like to each other. We have way too many common ancestors back there. And relationships, how do they work, right? They go back to the common ancestor. In our case, that common ancestor that we all roll up to eventually on that complicated family tree is a guy named John Howland, He is famous for falling overboard on the passage of the Mayflower, that Mayflower. Um, Thankfully, at least for me um, and my family, thankfully, and some others of us uh, in the church, um, 
Thankfully, they threw him a line. He was able to grab it. They pulled him back on board, and he survived. And six U.S. presidents have come from him, and there's, and also us. As Christians, our family tree is not complicated. It's really simple because our common ancestor is not some dude who couldn't stay on the boat. (laughs) Right? Our common ancestor is God, our Father. That's how you get brothers and sisters and then cousins. It's like, well, it all goes back here. But for every one of us, as we had read for us in the call to worship, the very first words this morning, see what kind of love the Father has shown us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's something for us to never get over. We might be proud of our family tree, but the family tree to hold on to is that God is our Father. We think of how the Lord's Prayer begins. Our Father. That's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We are brothers and sisters because we have the same Father. That's how that works. And so this becomes then the foundation of our understanding of the church as a family. God is a loving Father who cares for his children, the church. We're related to one another, no matter where we're from or what language we speak, because we're related to him. And this is all by God's grace. We don't really have any choice about our family of origin. We're just born into it. Or perhaps adopted into it. But when we think of God's family, none of us belong. It's all by God's grace. Do you know, do you feel when you pray, when you say, Our Father, or Dear Heavenly Father, that's not just like a throwaway phrase that Jesus gave us to start our prayers with the right way. It's a privilege to say, Our Father, and He hears us, and He loves us because we are his. But the Bible tells us that we were by nature children of wrath in Ephesians 2 and sons of disobedience. In John 8, as he's kind of going back and forth with the Pharisees, he describes people still in their natural state as being of their father, the devil. He says explicitly to them, you think God is your father. God is not your father. From our physical birth, we were not children of God. But Jesus gives those who receive him by faith the right, according to John 1, to become children of God. This second birth, that's what it's called in John's gospel a lot, or the new birth, or being born of God, or being born of the Spirit. And how did Jesus give us the right to be called children of God? How does that become ours? He did it by living the righteous life as God's son, God's one and only son, that we have failed to live. He gave us that right by being abandoned on the cross like he was God's enemy when we had been God's enemy, where he paid for our sin. So we who deserve God's judgment and God's wrath can be brought in and not just avoiding hell. 
Sometimes we can think that, especially kind of growing up in the church, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to hell, that's cool. And it is, it's much cooler. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's not even close to what's best. Right? Even as we sang a few minutes ago, oh Christ, he is the fountain. The deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've, I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There, to an ocean fullness, his mercy doth expand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live. He died the death that we deserve, and he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the grave, showing his power over sin and death and Satan. He did this because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, John 14, 6. So in a way, praying our Father is to pray in Jesus' name, because that's the only way we can come, is through Jesus. There's no other way we can come to God. Jesus is the one who brings us in, and we're told in Hebrews 2.11, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. We who belong to God through Christ by faith are children of God, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters of Jesus, and brothers and sisters of one another. We are God's children by adoption into his family. We were not his by nature. He chose us, not because we were so wonderful, not because he looked down, as they say, the corridors of time and saw what we would do, and it's like, yeah, I guess I'll pick them. They're going to be pretty smart or pretty helpful, or they'll really serve me if I save them. It's not how it works. He loves us because he loves us. We pray our Father because of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. So praying our Father is a privilege, but it's also a call to embrace God's people as brothers and sisters. As Jimmy led us in reading earlier, beloved, if God so loved us, 1 John 4, 11, we ought also to love one another. So if we have been born again and are children of the Father, we are called to love our brothers and sisters. Those two words, our Father, are the foundation of the concept of the church as the family of God. God's our Father. Jesus is our brother. We are God's dearly loved children. And so we learn to love the ones God loves. That's why we love one another. Not because we're all lovely. It's good that that's not the criteria, right? We don't love because of the qualities of the other. And we don't love because of the quality of our own altruistic bent. We love because in knowing God's love for us, we learn to love what he loves. So what? Okay, we're the family of God. I knew all that stuff before you even started, except the weird stuff about your family. <laughs> so what do we do with this? First, there is room in the family of God for you. Some family reunions feel like a very closed circle, right? Here it is. This is us. We got it. 
It's everybody we know, checking them at the door. Oh yeah, you get this color shirt, you get that color shirt. There's room in the family of God for you. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're not yet trusting in his sacrifice on the cross for you, for your life both now and forever, there's room in the family for you. It is not a closed system. The invitation is wide open. Come and join and feast both now and forever. And for those of us who are already trusting in Christ, kind of the flip side of that application is, do we act like there is room in the family? Or do we think that our family has reached its max? And that could have application here as a a church, but also more broadly, thinking of the family of God. Are we eagerly inviting others to join the family. To join, reaching back to last week's picture, the bride of Christ. It's the spirit and the bride who say, come, and whoever is thirsty, come and drink of the water of life freely. Do we act like there's room in the family? Whether it's with our neighbors, whether it's with guests who walk through these doors. Are we so busy with the friends we already have and like, well, this is my brother and I don't know about you. Or do we welcome with open arms those who walk through the doors? There are so many already in the family, and yet there is room. We don't only relate to him and to each other through this picture of being God's family. We look to welcome others into the family as well. So there's room in the family of God. Next, some implications for leadership in the church. Paul gives these qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. So we're in 1 Timothy 5. I actually have 1 Timothy 3 on my facing page. You could flip over there. There are qualifications for uh, overseers. There are qualifications for deacons. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, speaking of the qualities of the overseer, one of them is this. He must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Why? For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And you can skip down to verse 12 with the deacons. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Why does Paul talk this way? Because leadership in the church is to be like leadership in the home. That's how Paul is talking about it here, that church leadership is in family terms. And that's why our model here is less a business model with me as the CEO or the pastor elders as a corporate board or something. It's more like a family. Hopefully never like a mob family where the family is the business, but nothing's personal. It's just business. Leaders in the church must lead well at home because that's the model. It's more like a tender, caring father than an executive getting the job done and raising the bottom line. 
Leading in the church is like leading a family. And so leaders in the church must lead by influence and example more than anything. Because their job isn't to grow the brand, it's to care for the church. It's to shepherd the flock. And we learn that from this picture of the church as a family. So there's implications for how big the family is and can get. Implications for leadership in the church. Also has implications for how we think about one another in the church. Because we are indeed brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, if, if you're a guest with us, if you are connected with another church, uh, hear these questions that way. Um, if you're not connected to a church, we would love to talk with you about getting connected here. Do you think of the people next to you, behind you, in front of you, around you, as brothers and sisters? Or are they just people who, as some of you literally are, that's right. Are they just people who happen to be in general proximity to you on Sundays, right? We both picked this amazing church. You got that that was a joke. Good. We both picked this amazing church. We both picked kind of the same section. We're near the back on this side. And it's like, yeah, okay. We sit near each other and then we go our ways. Are we just people who happen to be worshiping God by ourselves with our little me and Jesus moment next to other people? Or do we think of ourselves as family? Do you think of the people around you as family? If we talk about being a family church, sometimes what people might think, because there are a fair amount of kids here, is that we're a church that that caters to families. Uh, And we do have young families, and we do have kids, and we're glad to have families here. But when we talk about the church as a family, that's, that's not what we're talking about, right? We mean that whatever your earthly family status, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have children, whether you don't, whether you're younger, whether you're older, if you are in Christ, you are part of the family. It's not just, oh, all the, the moms with young kids, they hang out. They have something in common. It's like, no, if, if we have Christ, we have something in common that's greater than whether we're married or have children. We have Christ. And so we welcome one another into our families. That's why some churches have a tradition to call everyone brother or sister. You've been around any churches like everyone is brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. What are they doing there? It's a reminder of what is true. We really are brothers and sisters because we have God as our Father. And so as family, what do we do? We do like we did earlier today, praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens. When someone's in trouble or in need, we want to help one another, to take care of one another, share our lives with one another, to pray for one another. And it's a joy to see so many of you doing just that whether it's welcoming others into your home in order to be able to welcome them into the family of Christ, to welcome them into our church family here. 
but also for those in the family that were walking with one another, being there for one another, encouraging one another, knowing what's going on. And that is a a two-way street, right? We have to be willing to open ourselves up and say, this is hard for me. This is a struggle. Here's where I have a need. And then it's on others who hear that to remember and to follow up and to pray and to care and to serve in whatever ways that we, have can, that we can. And so many of you have done that so well, even in recent days. And we'll need that mentality even more in the days ahead. We don't want to be a, good, a church where we just put on a good show on Sundays. Now, we want to do the best that we can with everything that happens up here so that things are, are clear and you know where things are going and you understand <laughs> from the scriptures what we're hoping will happen as we gather according to the truth of God's word. But we never want to be a place where we put on a really tight order of worship and the band is, oh man, they're, boy, that was good today. It's okay if it's good today. That's great. But we never want to just put on a good show and people come to see the show and then leave. We went to see a show a couple weeks ago and it was great, right? We were all there for one reason and it wasn't the opening band. It was all right. We were there for one reason, but we were just kind of around a whole lot of other people. Right? And we were there with some friends, which that made it cool. And then we ran into a couple other people. The, one of the other guys we ran into, he's like, I've been looking around. I didn't think I knew anybody here. I felt so alone. I'm the only person in the world who likes this band. And then he's like, oh, no, you're here too. There's two of us. It's like, there's two of us. Most of the people there were a lot younger than, than we are. We were there for the kids. Right? And that was a great experience, and we really enjoyed it, and the band was great. But that wasn't community, that wasn't family, that wasn't church, because we were just there. It was kind of a one time thing. You go, you hear them, everyone paid money to be there, we got our money's worth, and then we left. Yes, some of us were also there. And I was one, right? There weren't too many people with gray beards there. this is different than that, right? Even though that was an emotional moment and the guy leading it told great stories and it's like, oh yeah, that's so true, that's so good. You can have all that and it's not church. You can have all that and it's not family. And so we don't want to be here just because like the band's good or the sermons are good. That's not why we're here. Right? We hope that those things are true. Right? I'm not introducing like low quality month coming up because we didn't have time to plan anything. We're just, just set up. Right? It's not that. But do you get what I'm saying? We can have all the upfront things. They can all be as good as they can possibly be. And we cannot be doing what we actually are. <laughs> Because we are the family of God, not a crowd to see a show and hear a talk. It's not about the show. It's about gathering together to worship God as our Father, as the brothers and sisters that we are. 
Which leads me to a word about our live stream. What it's for, what it's not. Um, You probably don't need this message, but maybe, I don't know. We'll see. It's just an implication of thinking about the church as brothers and sisters. It's not meant to be a long-term substitute for being here. That's why it has stayed pretty simple over the last six years or so that we have had it. We want it to be good quality for what it is, but that's why it's also just a shot from the back of the auditorium. You know, we could have multiple cameras and we could spend some money and make it fancy. Paul might like that. It'd be fun, right? And it'd be cool. It'd be more work, so maybe not. (laughs) But as we've talked about that, what we keep coming back to is, what is it? What are we doing? Are we saying like, oh, what we do up front is so great that it has to be sent out in this high quality for the whole world because we're going to bless the whole world from Ashton Road in Northeast Philadelphia. It's like if someone across the world wants to be blessed that way, that's fine. I hope they're also doing that with a local church. But why did it start? It was so that people who were ill, and in, in that case there were a couple like multiple months illnesses or injuries, recovery times, where we didn't want them to feel disconnected. And so that's what it's about. It's not meant to be a substitute for regularly gathering together as brothers and sisters. It's meant to be a short-term substitute for when you're sick and we're coming up on that season (laughs) uh, where colds and flu and whatever is around. And so if you're sick and you need to stay home, you can watch, and it's meant to make you go, oh, I see them, oh, I see them, oh, I wish I was there. Now, that's what happens for us when we either are homesick or go away, and we watch, and we're like, oh, I wish I could hear everyone singing. I wish I could see them. Oh, I want to talk to them. That's what we hope happens for when you need to stay home and watch the live stream, but it's not a substitute for being here because you can't have community with a television. It doesn't work like that. You can't have community with a, with a one-way communication from your phone. By God's grace, we want to act like the family that we are. And one of the ways that we act like the family that we are is to be together for real so that those interactions can happen. So that it's not just, okay, I've watched, I did my thing, I got my grace for the day. It's that we're, we're here. We're taking the Lord's Supper together, touching and tasting. We're embracing one another. We're talking with one another. We're praying with and for one another. Also has implications for our relationships. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ and because we will be brothers and sisters forever, It means we can't just give up on one another and write off one another when there are issues. Right? We see this in our own homes for those of you who are parents and have more than one child. There are times that siblings um, don't get along. I don't know if maybe that's just in our house. You guys are great. And one of the things that my wife tells them and told them when they were younger, is that your sibling is more important than this toy 
or show or seat or whatever the thing it is happens to be that is the center of the conflict at the moment, right? It's like, no, I had it first. It's like, I don't care who had it first. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you and your brother. We're talking about you and your sister. But they did this and it was wrong. It's like, okay, we will deal with that. That's not what we're doing right now. We're talking about your brother. We're talking about your sister. That's going to last a lot longer than whatever it is that you really have to have right now. The kids downstairs agree. <laughs> and as a church, we are family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are lots of moments we absolutely love everything about being part of a family. And if you've been part of any real family for more than a day or two, you know that not every moment in your earthly family is bliss. Right? Families are great, and families have issues. Right? There's definitely people at the family reunion that you're like, oh, I'll just be over here. But we don't want to be that way. We shouldn't be that way in the church. And we actually can't be that way forever. If that other person is in Christ, when you see them in glory, you will not want to run the other way. So let's figure out how to get there today. No family is perfect. It's true in our individual families, and it's true for us as a church family. I love our church. I wish I could say, like, we're so glad you're here and you finally found it. This is the one. There will be no problems or issues here. But again, if you've been here for very long at all, you know that that's not true. And I'm not talking about just like, oh yeah, those members, they're a real problem, and I can complain about you to other pastors. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Every one of us sins. Every one of us falls short of God's glory, even in how we deal with one another in the church. We sin. And that's why it is so important for our life as a family here to be reminded that as great of a family as I think we have, every one of us are still sinners who are on the way, yes, we are saints in Christ, but there is still remaining sin, and we all still struggle with it, and we all still need a Savior. None of us have reached perfection yet. And so, probably more often than you would want to have to do this, the mercy that we have received from Christ has to be extended to others who have sinned against us. And just like Jesus is so patient with us in our sin, we need to be patient with one another. Just like he confronts us graciously for our good in our sin, we need to graciously confront one another. Not to like, they're wrong and I've got the receipts. Right? It's so easy to get that way, isn't it? I'll show them. And everyone will know how right I am. You know what else everyone knows about you then? <laughs> Nothing good. But we think we won. 
But the point in Matthew 18, the chapter that's most referenced when we think of church discipline, what is the point? You have won your brother. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say win the argument. He said win your brother. That family term again. And so there will be times when we need to confront one another and say, hey, you're, you're going the wrong way. That was not helpful. That was not where God would have us be going right now in our words, in our attitudes, in our actions. And then as we confront, we need to be ready to forgive. Through God in Christ, we are freely and fully forgiven all our sin. And we are called to forgive one another. We are a family. And dealing with sin, dealing with weakness, with love and grace and mercy must be part of our family life. If we're going to do this, even reasonably well, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to help us to see who we are in Christ, that we really are deeply loved by God, that we really are brothers and sisters because God is our Father. And then we need his help to act like who we are in Christ because this is hard. So by his grace, let's be ready as we interact with each other to run to Christ seeking his grace, his strength to love one another as God has loved us in Christ. Perhaps even all this talk about the church as a family is like, maybe your family of origin was particularly difficult. Perhaps as an adult, family life has just like fallen apart. I I thought I had a good family and then I found out that I don't really. Maybe your family's more normal. You've always known there's some issues, but whatever. And maybe you're like, I have a great family, but they're a thousand miles away. By God's grace, he has given you here a family in Christ. God is a father to the fatherless. And he has made us as our Father, brothers and sisters in Christ. So by his grace, let's embrace one another in Christ. If you can get here on Sundays, and great job getting here in the rain this morning, or for Bible studies, for small groups, gather with your family in Christ. That's where these relationships are felt and experienced. We will be family forever with God as our loving Heavenly Father. And so by God's grace, Let's act like the brothers and sisters we are. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Would you help us by your grace, being filled with your love and with your spirit to show your love to one another in the church and to those who are not yet in the church, not yet in the family, but that you have chosen by grace and will call through our proclamation of your good news about Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.